Today, I've got a very special episode of TRBM for you. This is me being interviewed by the talented and wonderful Michelle Rado. She agreed to swap chairs with me on my own podcast to talk a little bit about the nine lives of Marv DeLonghi. For those of you who listen and wonder about the book, uh, this will be maybe a treat to hear some of the behind the scenes stories about how the book came to be, what's inside of the book, how you can write novels, what it feels like to be in the middle of a lot of confusion. I am so grateful that Michelle agreed to interview me on my podcast. It's a little bit of an unconventional idea. I had the idea because of Brad Listy. Uh, He wrote a book, Be Brief and Tell Them Everything, and he had a friend of his interview him on his podcast about the book he wrote. And I thought, that's a great idea. Find somebody I admire and let them grill me for a change. So I hope that you enjoy this show. As always, you can buy copies of my book in any format. And on that note, at the end of this episode, after the closing music plays, you can hear me sharing a pronunciation file with my audiobook reader, X.E. Sands. I tacked it on after the music because... It's not required listening. I mean, shoot, none of this is required listening. But if you just want to hear what's going on in the production of the audiobook, maybe you'll get a little bit of a sense of my playfulness, because a lot of the words that XE was curious how to pronounce have something to do with the wordplay inside of The Nine Lives of Marvin DeLonghi and the rest of the Luke and Time Mysteries. If you notice that I sound especially sultry right now, it's because I have a bit of a cold Sometimes I wish I could keep the kind of timber that I've got right now without being all congested. Hope this finds you extremely well, and I look forward to talking with you again later. If you've ever watched an author read in public and felt bored, TRBM is the antidote. TRBM is for writers what time-lapse was for painters, guitar solos and spotlights were for bands, what chainsaws and ice blocks were for sculptors. What does TRBM stand for? The risky and bumbling memoirist? Tangentially reverent Bible magnate? That renowned Bangor man? You decide. On one hand, I can say... Yes. But on the other hand, I go, oh, is that what I'm doing? Like, <laughs> honestly, yeah. I don't I, I sometimes I don't even know. And and talking about that internal to external guidance thing, mm-hmm. I have tried to um, kind of forget about everybody else and only say, what do I need to know? in order Mm -hmm. to write what I'm hoping to write and what book helps kind of show me in that direction, how to Mm -hmm. do that. Um, And then I talk to that person and then I feel very like, like the bumble bumbly sort of like, I don't know what I'm doing. And Mm -hmm. I'm like revealing all that I don't know. Like that is kind of, I, I don't try to do that. It is just Mm -hmm. what happens and i i do have a certain willingness to say there's so much stuff i don't know mm-hmm. and um 
And how are we going to find out all the stuff that we want to know yeah. if we don't know unless we ask someone? And so in a funny mm -hmm. way, your podcast and your um, conversations with writers, I find I, I could give the same description that you just gave to me. I feel mm -hmm. like you're very on brand. You talk with these writers. You have these very um, specific things. I learned so much from talking uh, from hearing you talk with writers about things that I go, oh, that's interesting. And with that, and I even recall one conversation you were having with someone, I'm not going to remember who, um, where you were saying you have such a, <laughs> I'll use the word uh, because it may come into play later, a mm. ravenous appetite to <laughs> learn, to learn yeah. everything. And so you are trying to learn everything and yeah. i am trying to learn one thing <laughs> like mm. i'm trying to learn i feel like i'm trying to learn memoir and i'm trying to learn how to tell my story mm. and but the part that i love about both of our explorations yeah is that it's all about writing like to me i think that the writing is the 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 secret sauce it's like mm -hmm. Figuring out how to write is actually figuring out how to do all those other things we want to do. Yes. Does that kind of yes. feel? Yeah. And that's that's the absolute truth. And it's it's this place that I'm most comfortable in when I'm wrestling with the writing. Instead of trying to harness all the other things, you have these moments, and I'm positive you've experienced it before, being in the flow when you're writing is unlike any other kind of flow. There's the sense of complete presence with the moment mm -hmm. where, yeah. um, you know, you, you've maybe fallen asleep watching a TV show before or something like that. Oh, yes. <laughs> I, I have, I have something really close to that while I'm writing that there are many, many times where I dive in and I'm, I'm just in the creative process and it's not when I'm editing and it's when I kind of have a clear sense of what I'm doing that it's dreamlike. And I wake mm. up later almost and I'm just like, Oh, I should uh, have a bite to eat or move around a little bit. What a strange thing writing is, but it, it's, it's yeah. the center of so much for me. Yeah. Yeah. I can tell. <laughs> I can yeah. tell. And I love it. And I love how you explore it. And I love how it is your journey and that you're yeah. sharing that. I am curious, before we jump into the the, the reverse interview, I want to know from you, because you have, you have uh, years in public radio and so much knowledge. What do you feel like was the difference when you pivoted to having full ownership of a show as opposed mm. to being a piece of a show? What did it wow. unlock and what didn't you expect? Oh God, like pretty much <laughs> ev everything in a, in a bizarre way and in a, in a wonderful way and in a scary way. Mm -hmm. um, I will say kind of the, the, baseline answer to that question is it freed me up to and i i hesitate to say such bold statements it freed me up to feel like a writer hmm. i had been writing throughout mm -hmm. my radio time i was a producer mm -hmm. um i wrote a lot of on-air promos so i was like a copywriter person yeah. And I struggled with it so much. I hmm. 
I would say I kind of hated it. I tried to lean on other people to do it. Um, I would be like, what people would send me notes about, you know, the blah, blah, blah event is coming up and what mm-hmm. are we going to do? And and you just I would find myself reaching for like these hacky lowest hanging fruit phrases and I'd go mm-hmm. uh, and I just struggled with it. And I was like, I hate writing. But when I would <laughs> write a letter to somebody or I would write in my journal or, mm-hmm. you know, I and I had a thought about maybe writing memoir at some point that it's sort of not as intense as the flow state that you describe, but much more so where yeah. all of a sudden you're like, you hit on one thing. And in my case, I'll go, oh, I have so much I need to say. I have to explain this whole thing before I can get to the one thing that I'm trying to tell you. And then yeah. like six pages later, I get to that story and then it leads me to some other tangent. And I was like, wait, I think I'm a writer. You know, yeah. that's when I felt the identity mm. of writing because I was free to to explore the content and the even means to whatever I wanted to say, which was all about me. And that sounds yeah. so um, self-involved. I guess it is. But like, I feel like well, figuring me out mm-hmm. has been part of the journey. Yeah. That's and fantastic. yeah, that, I mean, that's at least one tiny part i don't know if you have any other questions about like the public radio part because i i oh i know i was going to say one other thing about the production side Mm -hmm. which um i was thinking about just today or fairly recently um oh because i actually had it slipped into my conversation with brad listy that i had Uh, just a week or so ago thanks to you (laughs) so um when i also was working in radio if I interviewed someone for something, and it usually would be, again, often it was for a promo. Sometimes I produced features, so sometimes it was that. Sometimes it was um, to produce campaigns. So, like, I would talk with a host or a reporter, and I'd have interview a whole bunch of reporters about a theme that we were going to promote or something like that. Mm-hmm. Whenever I was interviewing someone, it, it was 100% clear I would never be in the final product. So I got very good at not at, at production and at getting answers from people of what I knew I needed and the getting the the people I was talking to to say what I needed them to say because I knew how I would put it together. I was terrible at asking questions because I first of all was told from very early in my radio days that I was not an on-air voice and I would never be an on-air voice and you should not think that you're really? going to be on air. Oh, okay. Full pause right there because I was even... <laughs> I was also uh, about 20 years old, by the way. So, okay. I, yeah. I, I <laughs> but mean, still. Wow. My, my wife and I were um, driving up to get her grandma's recycling today uh, mm-hmm. and uh, we're, we're driving up and I was talking about the interview with you and saying, I, I'm oddly feeling nervous. I don't almost ever feel nervous anymore for interviews, whichever mm-hmm. side of the mic that I'm on, but I was today. And, but I was saying that your voice is the quintessential public radio voice. I swear oh, that's the tone funny. of your voice is. So that's really <laughs> funny that yeah. I would have never known that. So. No, no, <laughs> I was not going to be on the radio. I wow. I did. So there were um, 
early on, I, I love production and I love documentary. I love storytelling. So that's another sort of through line. Mm. And I always wanted to eventually get into documentary production. Mm. Um, and the, so we did do a show once for a, um, for like a, a college station and, or, you know, it was, it, it aired on my station and, um, and I was the host, mm-hmm. but I was a scared little girl who was oh, like saying these things that I sounded awful. And so it was very early. And so mm-hmm. rightfully so, you know, they were like, no. And I had no interest in it and talk about being nervous. I have, I still get nervous before every single interview, mm. no matter what, because of that very thing. Like I yeah. go, am I going to? ask this right is it going to keep going i always have awkward mm. pauses how am i going to keep it <laughs> so and i've been so um become so adept at cutting myself out so now yeah. i am doing the exact opposite of that and i suddenly have become the voice and i i will say it's one of the things that is very hard in a live setting mm-hmm. um to keep it all going so smoothly yeah but um, the thing that I have really come to embrace and love is this again sounds terrible. I I love my voice. Like I yeah. I and I don't say I love my voice, but I have become very comfortable with my voice. Yeah. And I I enjoy talking. So like when mm-hmm. you hear the top and tail of my podcast, mm-hmm. that's to me the like. Ooh, that's the good stuff. Like, I love yeah. thinking about what I'm going to say, figuring out how I'm going to say it, getting on the mic by myself. Mm-hmm. I can do it as many times as I want and nobody's mm-hmm. going to notice. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. So, yeah. So the production side is one thing. And I have it just gave me gazillions of hours of practice of that stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but being on air and doing the question and being the voice, not so much. So it's that's the challenge part. And the writing part is also like, okay, once the topic changed to something that I was really interested in, I mean, isn't that kind of what they say about writing? Like write yes. what you know or write what you want to know. Right. And yeah, a lot absolutely. of the things I was just not so interested in. Yeah, there's a there's a really good bridge right here because you had your conversation with Brad. Uh, we've both read and love his book. Both of us will recommend it to anybody that we meet. It's a phenomenal yeah. piece of literature. Um, he calls it a novel. It really feels like a memoir. Um, yeah, I, I think I think he he kind of wrestles with that himself and that idea of what we fictionalize and and how true memory mm-hmm. really is for us. What. Yeah interested me about what you were saying is that idea of doing the interview and then cutting yourself out of the interview. And I'm curious, based on your recent conversation, having read Brad's book, uh, Mm -hmm. and then interviewing a fiction writer right now, how much do you feel like you are actually still creating your brand, even when you're not the personality front and center? Do you feel like the shows that you produced on, this is another way of asking the same question. Do you feel that mm-hmm. those shows bore the the mark of, of you as a person? Uh, oh, my public radio work? Yeah, yeah. Um, some, mm-hmm. some. I could, uh, for, so for station events, those kind of promos, sometimes I had to just get stuff done and, yeah. and I. Sure. 
didn't really feel i mean i do think that the challenge that i did feel constantly was to infuse the brand or creativity of the station Mm-hmm. through my interpretation of that like that was yeah. sort of the creative part that was fun and there were um there were many campaigns that I did that were like station imaging sorts of campaigns that I would work with other people to come up with the idea but then the execution would be me and mm-hmm. I liked a lot of multi-voice things and I um, the one thing that I did that I am super proud, I not the only thing I'm proud of, but one of the things I'm super proud of was my, that is perhaps the only through line between my radio work and what I'm doing now. At one point um, for the news station, because I worked, the it was both news and classical, mm-hmm. um, for the news station, I started noticing the directive to listen and obviously with a radio station what you want people to do is to listen and so i started trying to hear listen to the station and pull any clip i ever heard where anyone talked about what it means to listen and Mm -hmm. i interviewed all the um reporters what does it mean to listen and the tagline for the campaign was keep listening because it had that little double entendre, you know, yeah. like to we are a, we were a local news station and we wanted people to listen, you know, to yeah. to listen to what is being offered about our world and make up your own mm. mind, you know, not trying to persuade, but to offer. So that yeah, that was that was very much me. I was really proud of that campaign and it had several iterations and then it like it had this phase where it was a bunch of sound bites of on air and then the reporter things. And then it had some other phase. I can't even remember now, but yeah. 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 So, and that's, as you know, at the end of every episode, I say, thanks for daring to listen. Cause I still think that that's an important thing about our world is listening. Yes. And I, I love, I love the setup because daring to tell uh, is, uh, it's actually, I, I didn't realize until just this moment how very close it is to, to how I end my show. What's the point of telling stories? Nobody's listening. I like that very much. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was oh, happy to geez. get a chance to read it. I was like, yes. that's perfect. So we'll we'll get on to the, the reason that I invited you to be on here. <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> I am, I'm still interested in one more just little piece of this because... And this is really just me chasing my own interest in the last couple of weeks that I've had... Um, I am fascinated right now with with this idea of brand and everything you've been talking mm. about. And I'm wondering, do you think that it's the best idea to not really worry about creating a brand and to instead check in with yourself and say, am I doing what I should be doing right now? Am I in the place that I should be? And let the rest kind of take care of itself. Does that does that seem like a the way to approach it? Or what what would you how would you respond to that notion? Yeah. Um I very much agree with you about that notion. Like I th- I don't think I've thought about brand honestly. Yeah. I mean, but like you, I have thought about platform, I guess, another one yeah. of those words yeah. I don't really We don't like. We don't want to have to think no. about platform and no. brand. But <laughs> if you think about it as who you are and what you have to offer and how 
the more you keep doing a thing, it's there's going to be a whole lot of common denominators about yeah. you. Um, and so it's funny that you say about my brand, because I, I honestly don't know what my brand is. Like, is yeah. it daring to tell? Is, I mean, I don't even know how I got. Uh, well, I do. It's funny because I always say that. I know I wrote it down in one of my journals and it was, I think, in 2015. And I have a vague, you know how sometimes you have those like little snapshot images of where you mm -hmm. were when you were thinking of something. And I'm picturing yeah. like the Harbor Walk in Charlestown where I would run in the mornings. And I can picture right where I was, where I was like daring to tap. Like, I don't know why it popped in my head, but it did. <laughs> and it obviously stuck, which many things don't. Yeah. And it was enough that I wrote it down. And I thought maybe someday I'll have a podcast and I'll call it daring to tell. And I couldn't imagine, like, I didn't, I was working at, the radio station full time. I had no time to even mm -hmm. barely do much of anything. As you know, like yeah. I would try to write on the weekends, but I would always be tapped out after, you know, working a lot. And yeah. you have a family to boot. I have never had any kids. But anyway, the, um, yeah. So the brand, is it daring to tell? I don't, I don't know. Yeah. That's a good question. I certainly don't know that I could verbalize. But I, just like I said uh, at the head of the show is there's a real clear sense when I come to your show that you're clear in some way about what you're doing. It's very, it's very mm -hmm. clear. And I, I will say um, there are only a couple of podcasts that will do this to me. Uh, I recently listened to The Witch Trials of J.K. Rowling and I was amazed oh, by yeah, that. Oh, yeah, I heard and, you mention okay, yes. that. Yeah. Wildly, a little bit. I don't know it, yeah. but yeah. No, no, no. So the show itself was just the 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 host. She was so compellingly clear that, and, and this is part of my own thought process right now, is I don't think she was front and center of the podcast at all, but I think anything else that she ever did, I would run to listen to it because she's clear. Mm, I think it's the same yeah. thing with you, is that you have this mood that you create and this way that you'll put my brain into a thought space that I will... I'd follow you wherever you went. Any kind of creative project you put out, I would read it. I would listen Aww. to it. Um, and I think that's the sign of good brand. And it's something that I mm. long to do myself because I want to write these detective books. Uh, yeah. But I also, I have uh, a, a very similar to Brad Listy's book, kind of a memoir um, with some fictionalized bits as well in it. And I want to be able to run mm -hmm. all over and do a lot of things and not have uh professional carnage behind me because nobody can ever keep up with all the different stuff I want to do, you know? So what? Do what you want to do. I mean, right. there is going to be a you. It makes me think of, um, I can't remember who said the quote. This is why I... That's <laughs> why I keep a journal. That's why I can't. Yeah. This is why I record things because I never remember anything. But <laughs> yeah. I do recall. It, I feel like it might be John Lennon. I'm not sure. But if you if you try to copy someone doing mm -hmm. something, it's gonna like if he's gonna try and sound like Elvis, mm -hmm. he still ultimately is John Lennon. You know, like yeah. the voice is gonna be him. No matter who we try and imitate, and we we imitate the people who we love and who speak to us for whatever mm -hmm. reasons that they do. Yeah. But there's something then reflective back within you that is yes. what it is. And, and it's interesting because it goes back to that like voracious appetite thing that I think mm -hmm. that you have, that you clearly are aware of too, that, you know, you want to do a whole bunch of things, but 
you have a passion for this detective yeah. story stuff. And yeah. I love hearing you want to do a memoir because I hear you talk about your life a lot. And so yeah. um, I get a real sense of you and clarity and um, desire for achieving something. That's a little different than mm-hmm. um, me, which I feel like is a desire to understand something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Is that at the core of what I'm trying to figure out? And and I know you're trying to do something and you really want to make a mark. Like, yeah. part of me goes, don't look. Like, I, <laughs> so often I just shrink from mm. wanting to be noticed, which is maybe goes yeah. back to that, like, I never was the voice. That worked very well for me. So mm-hmm. the being noticed part is a little hard, even though there's a part of it I like, there's a part of it that's hard. Anyways, I'm kind Mm -hmm. of mixing all these things. Yeah. I, I, uh, the show I have coming out tomorrow is uh, largely on that topic of why is there this, this push pull of, I clearly want people to know me and to, uh, to enjoy me. Um, Mm -hmm. and you mentioned earlier that idea of like self-indulgent or, or that's not exactly the term you used. I don't see anything inherently wrong with wanting that i think that that's what it is i guess to be human maybe is to want to be understood that that Mm -hmm. understand ourselves and i think that when someone else understands something about us i think that it it serves as confirmation that we can see that our senses aren't just scattershot out there i guess Mm, um yeah but i hate i i had to coach uh, little league uh, baseball yesterday because the the coach wasn't going to be able to be there. And I told the the other guy who asked me to help out, I said, I will be horrible at this. And he said, well, it's really just glorified babysitting. And I said, no, I, I'm going to be horrible at it. This is for some reason, put me in a situation like that. And I turn into the most awkward out of place. Like I can throw a baseball, but for some reason I was so socially awkward that when I tried yeah. to throw a baseball back to the coach, it's just like way out there. <laughs> like, right right yeah it is interesting isn't it like put us in different circumstances and there's reasons why we'll be awkward in some and just completely relaxed in others what do you think it is about the baseball that like why what's your discomfort with it there's a couple of things and uh, this is true of me as i am not a fan of children as much as I hate to say that, and I love my kids, yeah. Um, but I even had a really hard time connecting with my own kids before they could converse. Uh, it was a real oh, effort. So that really? element, wow. yeah, I'm not sure. They'd love yeah. to explore why that is. Um, but it's also something, I, it's something about somebody else setting an agenda and me stepping into the unknown that is deeply uncomfortable for me. Yeah, I, yeah. I think that's at the heart of most social anxiety that I have, because I could even... We went out for a friend's 40th birthday party over the weekend. And even there, uh, it was like, I don't know what to say. I suddenly feel just completely clammed up and trapped. And I don't I don't understand it to a large degree because I feel like if I did, I could work on it. But yeah, yeah, I know it it is interesting it's i mean there's a there's that control thing certainly in whatever circumstances and yeah. and the words thing is interesting to me jody because you're a man of words <laughs> i know words are your domain they are <laughs> <That's>, your <yes. laughs> and so when babies don't have words how will you 
Yes. Reverse. That's a guy. I, I don't know. I've never thought of that before. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Well, so let's let's yeah. jump in. Can I'm I ask? To... Yeah. You go. You you tell me. All all I was going to say is from this point forward, I'm going to let you drive it like it's your podcast. So I will. And then when you tell me we're we're wrapping up, we'll wrap up from here because uh, that gives you the freedom to do what I asked you to do. And and I, I want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you for reading my book so that you could do this, um, because I realized even when I was preparing today, I didn't give you much of a heads up of the content of the book and you could have found it violently offensive. And I, I had that moment where I was like, wow, well, I guess I trusted that at the heart, you knew who I was enough. If you were offended, we could just have a, a civil conversation. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is an excellent starting point. Let's launch off with that. Yeah. I, let's not launch off with that actually. Cause yeah. you did, you said something else that to me was a good bridge, which is, you really want to tell these detective stories. So that was going to be one of my first sort of like, let's set the table questions. Like what's the passion for detective? What, tell me about, the nine lives of Marva DeLonghi, DeLonghi. DeLonghi. So like the long high. Yeah. DeLonghi. Uh, So, um, the, the truth is, is a little bit, um, just, uh, I, I'm not, I'm lacking the exact word I want, but it was it was from the sense that I had written some books. I started out with that book I was telling you about that was kind of memoirish, and uh, I couldn't find any interest in the the world for that kind of book from a no name author. And so I really started to think about the kinds of things that I felt like I could write that mm-hmm. might have more commercial appeal. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew that I really enjoyed uh, the work of James Lee Burke um, and Raymond Chandler. And Mm -hmm. uh, there was also this amazing book called Gun with Occasional Music by Jonathan Latham that I just thought those are amazing works. And I think that I can do something kind of like that and I'll enjoy it because there had to be a bridge to enjoyment. The answer in a bigger way is that once I got into the head of, of Luke, I suddenly realized that I could use a human being that I created to question myself about the things that I believed. Mm. Um, And detective is like doubling down on that. Anything that I believe, I can create a character who believes the exact opposite thing and start to converse with her and say, how do you see the world that's different than me? If you've not done it before, I don't know that you... I think a lot of people would say that this is just science, like neurons fire, you can't be two people. But so far as I can tell, she's not me. She thinks very different things than I do. And I can just talk to her. It's weird. Right. Well, so this is one thing I find very interesting whenever I listen to any fiction writer talk about creating their characters. And I've heard you say similar-ish things when you've talked, I've heard you talk about um, your your protagonist, Luke Mia, right? Detective Luke Mia. And it makes me, as you say that, it reminds me I think on the other conversation we had, or maybe it was on your podcast. Anyways, you said another prior time, something about how you created a Twitter account for a character and you would tweet questions and things. Was Luke... Luke oh, is the can one. I expose you? <laughs> yes, I, I did expose myself. So people oh, do okay. know she's out there now. But yeah, right. it was it was her. Uh, and how did that go? What was that like? Like, what did people did? 
did you learn things? Like, was it oh. weird? Because I remember thinking, oh, oh, that's, you know, see, this is where I think we're very <laughs> different. Like, yeah. how could you pretend to be someone else? That is not mm -hmm. ethical, you know? Right. And, yep. and I love, I'll just say that you're always so open to debating people yeah. and having a different point of view. You are willing to listen, yeah. dare I say. So, um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So tell me about, tell me more about Luke and how you met her and the spark and how she kind of like came to yeah. be. Uh, so much there. Okay. So as far as the character, I, I may have said this in different places, so I won't tell the long story, but I had a friend in college uh, I was kind of late going to undergrad. So I was 25, I think at the time. And um, I was in my very fervent religious period. I was, I was fervently a Christian and I had a classmate who, who said, I dare you to write a character who believes exactly the opposite of you. And oh, right, so right. she did not end up being um, my character for a long time after that, but it was in my brain. I'll always remember that conversation. And yeah. so when she came around, I tried to create somebody. And when I say the exact opposite of me, uh, even before I wrote Luke, I think that I was a feminist in the sense that I believed in equal rights for men and women. But I also believed that I was steeped in a culture that that uh, told stories about women being in um, submission to men and those narratives that I'd heard for a long time. So I wanted to write a woman who was who was like, screw that. I'm in submission to no one. I have mm -hmm. my own agency. I'm my own person. And mm -hmm. see, could I do this authentically? Um, so she comes about in that way. And I start writing her book. And I know I want to get an agent. And so I think I was really uncomfortable with social media at the time. Mm -hmm. And I thought I can hide behind her. I can create a social media account as Luke. And then I can also pitch that as being, Hey, look, I wrote this book and I have this social media account that has X thousand followers. And that will be a stepping stone for me to, to jump out in the world and do something interesting. Mm -hmm. um, what I found from just the simplest things was that after being her on Twitter for a period of time, when I searched to respond to somebody with a GIF, I would always look for a woman because I thought if I'm a woman, then I'm going to identify with the GIFs of women in, in like, uh, embodying these, these things. And then it mm -hmm. became so second nature to me that when I was on Twitter, I, I, even when I switched over to my own account, I had to remind myself, I'm, I'm me. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> anymore. Um, <laughs> right. So, right. Uh, I did want to stop to one thing that, that you mentioned, because I think that it's really important and I would not want anybody to feel like I should definitely do what Jody did and create their character as the, the profile. Mm. I, I stepped into friendships with a few people, uh, that were vulnerable with me in a way that I got a little bit concerned that I had done somebody wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. I had, I had a woman talk about a relationship with her, her boyfriend and, and, I was able to just say from from a human perspective, you deserve better than that. Yeah. But I knew yeah. I had crossed a line that I never yeah. meant to cross. Right, right, um, right. Wow. So ethics, yeah, ethics are a strange thing. I went back to four people on Twitter from from my profile and let them know I said, Hey, you you might be angry at me about this. At the time I didn't know I was doing anything that I would have an issue with. Um wow. and two of them were upset and they yeah. had every right to be. So yeah. I wish that there was a way that you could do that and yeah. not have the other consequences because there were, were actual consequences. Um, and then a fifth person, I tried to let them know. And it was almost as if uh, this was a guy. He had been occasionally flirtatious and I'd always uh, sort of, yeah. 
Um, yeah. I tried to tell him and he wouldn't accept that what I was saying was that like, I am uh, Luke. Uh, right, and right, right. I had a side conversation and somebody just said, you don't need to speak with him anymore, but just he believes what he believes and it's okay. You haven't right. hurt him in any way. So just let right, it be. Right. What a strange um, yeah. consequences for real. Wow. Well, you know, kudos to you for <laughs> that. Uh, no, I, I mean, that's really something to admit that and to sort of be transparent about what happened. Because, yeah, I mean, that is a little intense. And obviously yeah. you, your intention was not to hurt anyone. And I don't know. Social media is very difficult that way i mean i do think that people become vulnerable because of the veil that exists so i don't know that's a tough one well thanks for (laughs) saying that because that's interesting to know um but so it so anyway so that is something else that informs your whole experience as you go forward, as well as, I mean, that's also to, to, to be a woman in that setting. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think to, to decide to write from a different gender perspective also is really challenging. I can't imagine that. So I really give you credit for that too. And, and one of the things that I think is interesting as I hear you talk about what you do, it is this, um, Flipping back and forth between what I want and what everyone else wants. You know, I'm going to say everyone else, like what Mm -hmm. a readership may want, what an agent may want, what the market wants. Um, And so I think that that's um, it's a difficult thing to straddle how to Mm -hmm. be true to yourself while trying to do something that will be commercially viable, which obviously detective stuff is huge i mean i can do so a little bit of background on me about detective stuff um i think that i've mentioned before in places i don't know Mm -hmm. um i volunteer at a used bookstore that is um in our town that's affiliated with the library so when i first started there i mean it was really my first job ever besides working at the radio wow. station. I wow. mean, I had done some, I had done that for so long and yeah. I was a co-op student. So I had started at the radio station as a co-op student. So wow. it was, I spent my entire. That's unheard of. There. So many people it don't really do that is. I know <laughs> I, I, I was embarrassed about it for a great amount of oh, time, wow. but now, and now that yeah. it's over, I go, okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm proud of it. I am. You proud should of be. It. Anyways. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so I w- it was weird, like I'm working in a different place. So to work among books, I was very excited and I really wanted to learn. And in our bookstore, we have, it's a really very big bookstore and mm-hmm. we have fiction, we have classics, we have short stories, we have a whole bunch of nonfiction, we have memoirs and uh, true stories and biography, blah, blah, blah. But we also have an entire room designated to mystery. And mm. I was like, oh, I know nothing yeah. about any of these <laughs> books at all. And people would come mm-hmm. in and they would go, uh, do you have any Louise Penny? And I'd go, who? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. again, sort of that that naivete thing that I can't fake. And they're like, oh, you don't know Louise Penny? I mean, so my knowledge of the the mystery section mm-hmm. was okay. I'm in Maine. I know Stephen King. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I've even read Stephen King. 
um, yeah. before I moved here. And um, John Grisham, I was a big Grisham mm-hmm. guy for a while. But that yeah. was, I think that that's kind of it. I might have read one or two Scott Turow books. So I'm mm-hmm. always, so I'm curious to hear who your passions were in the detective genre. Um, unfortunately, I can't comment on it. Oh yeah, because I haven't read them. But but what are they like? And and so there is something about detective that is clearly resonant with you, and that you yeah. do have passion about. So how did you? So you got Luke. You mm-hmm. were deciding to try and be something that was very much not you, which yeah. I think is a really it's it's that learning part. I'm going to learn how to be someone who's not me, yeah. and I'm going to create her. Yep, and then. How did you get the whole story? So uh, the I think the most important author that I tried to emulate as much as I could, and he unlocked something for me, uh, was Dennis Lehane. So oh, he yeah. writes- A Boston guy, right? Yeah, he's a Boston guy. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the one that probably most people know is Gone Baby Gone. Um, he also wrote Mystic River, uh, Shutter Island. Those were made into films. Um, but where he caught me was early in the the- uh, series with Gone Baby Gone in it. So it starts with, and I sometimes get the two titles mixed up, but uh, A Drink Before the War. I think it's the first one. And it's Patrick uh, and Angie, and they are detective partners. And the banter between the two of them was unlike anything that I'd ever read. So mm-hmm. I do tend to prefer novels where there's some element of romantic tension somewhere. I'm not sure why I can't really comment on what's important about that for me, but I want there to be a love interest in the stories that that really grab me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that he did such a good job of having just a hint of romantic tension through mm-hmm. the first three books uh, before you really kind of get them to actually oh. be together. And that was a really slow build. It was a slow build. Yeah. And it was, I loved it so much. And I loved their relationship. And I loved the idea that they could almost be pl- platonic at times and then enemies in one of the books for a great part mm. of, of Sacred. I think it's in Sacred. Uh, they're, they're kind of like enemies. And I thought this tells me more about life than I've learned anywhere else. And I wanted so badly to emulate that. But also the way that they investigated, the way that Angie approached problems, to me at least read very much like a woman would approach a problem. Mm -hmm. Um, And and the way that Patrick approached problems felt very much like the way that I would. I could like see myself Mm. in his behaviors. And so- What did Angie do that made you feel- Ooh, okay. So these things are harder to, to verbalize, but- in fact, it's it, that's such a good question. Feels really hard for me to answer because I don't want to stereotype. But Angie was self-conscious mm. in a, a way that I don't see men being. She questioned Interesting. Yeah. her motivations mm. much more yeah. than he did. And yeah. she was angry at herself for being vulnerable. And that was the way mm. that she approached cases. It was almost like she notices that she feels vulnerable to something and that clues her in to the heart of the mystery, I guess. Right, right. And so seeing her do that, I think was just revelatory for me. Um, yeah. It, so, so yeah. that was it. Yeah. Well, that's interesting because actually to be a woman detective I think I'll say would feel very vulnerable. I mean, I can see some advantages to it in certain scenarios as I think Mm -hmm. Luke finds herself in, but I don't want to get, I also don't want to 
give any spoilers yeah. away. I have yeah. not finished it yet. I was listening to your episode with Chris Talon, who I also very much enjoy. And you guys have a yeah. great rapport. Uh, so yeah. um, he was, had said the same thing. He said it when I was like maybe through well we know there are many lives so maybe through like life seven or eight or something like that and then i thought you know what i'm not going to finish it either so i (laughs) i don't know the end yet yeah um and i don't want to spoil it but um but i do think that luke is like she has to be tough and she Mm -hmm. anyways i'm getting a little off track you're talking about um we were talking about the the genre and how you decided detective and oh yeah the slow build of Mm -hmm. the relationships because when you were starting saying i was like oh it i'm not sure if we can reveal how much there may or may not be between yeah um luke and her partner lyle who Mm -hmm. is a very interesting character (laughs) yeah yeah Um, i love writing him yeah. So, how, well, okay. I'll just jump around, I guess, unless I kind of cut you off in the middle of explaining no. something. But, like, how about Lyle? Because, like, let's hear who your characters are in this book. Yeah. So, Lyle, Lyle Kapachnik. There's a couple of things that are really fun about Lyle. Just nobody can pronounce his name correctly, right. which yeah. I have so much fun with. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, Partly me, even though my name is Jody, like people will refuse to believe that I'm a guy named Jody. Um, so, so you'll have people just do all of these strange oh. ways of trying to change the pronunciation, right. or the, is that a nickname? Is it short for Joseph? And no, all that's, right. that's my I name. see. Um, Gymnastics so was, against the obvious. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, he also Lyle was a side character in the book that I wrote for grad school um, that I couldn't find an agent for. He was the main character's uh, best friend, childhood best friend. And um, so I wanted to have some continuity, but I thought Mm. it was funny because he was a very unrealistic character in that book. And I wanted to see what would happen to him if he, if he grew up. Uh, So I think of um, like Kramer from uh, Seinfeld. (laughs) Yeah. 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 (laughs) You know, and definitely how I played around with him and, and he's, you know, always eating. Uh, I got my first so, one star review yesterday, oh. um, which was really fun. And the the lady cited, she's like, there's this one character who just annoys me terribly. He's always eating. And I was like, well, you got that's, me. <laughs> that's, yeah, what that's, that's what he does. <laughs> well, I was going to say, as someone who struggles with GI issues from time <laughs> to time, I was like, I'm getting a stomach ache listening to Lyle and everything that he is eating. I'm like, he's constantly eating. But then yeah. I had a I had a brilliant idea for you um, for your merchandising Ooh, uh, yes. with the book. You should have the Lyle Kapuchnik. Am I saying it right now? You did. You got um, it. <laughs> Lyle Kapuchnik snack line. Like you could oh, sell yes. all kinds of everything that he's eating all the time. Oh, I mean, that's perfect. Wouldn't that be good? It would be. There you I go. That one's free. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yes. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Yeah. So, yeah. So, okay. So Lyle is always eating their partners. They're going to, um, they meet Marva who comes mm-hmm. in and there's this many lives aspect of it. And so is, is it fair to say sci-fi is kind of like a a fringe influencing genre too? Yeah, so it's um a lot of people from my background call it speculative. 
Um, mm. Yeah, in sci-fi fantasy, either way, you're dealing with with something that's uh, magical. Um, so there's there's magical realism, there's speculative, there's sci-fi fantasy. All of those genres, right. I think, have influences in what you do because yeah, you're stepping outside of hey, when you die, you're dead, and instead you start back over and uh, you get you get more tries for whatever mm-hmm. reason it might be behind that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, and that's been an interesting one because that would be other than uh Jonathan Latham who wrote uh Gun with Occasional Music, I've not run into a mystery that's done exactly what I'm doing in terms of blending really hard-boiled style with the speculative or the magical. Mm, okay. Well, that's so that's very interesting and that um is a good I, so I was curious because I frequently I'm coming across writing books and you, you got an MFA in writing. So you did the whole school thing. And I was curious, you mentioned college too. Were you like a English major or lit major or? So I got my bachelor's of fine arts with fiction focus. And then I went on to get my master's of fine arts with a fiction focus. Um, So it was all about fiction. Do you have like a craft book that is a favorite or do you have people who you especially love or what's the because you you obviously speak with so much background and knowledge about the all of that which again i'm like (laughs) yeah it's um so there's there's a a couple my friend joseph salvatore has and it's an expensive one but he actually has a grammar book out that i think makes like things like uh diagramming sentences Mm. so much more approachable than you'd ever Mm -hmm. think um and so i love his academic approach to it uh he wrote a great book of short stories called to assume a pleasing shape um just soaking yourself in his writing i think does a lot for teaching you but then honestly i would go with the classic i think elements of style by strunk and eb white is I mean, you could read that and you just keep discovering new stuff. There's so much depth and it's a really short volume. So those are two off the top of my head that I think Mm -hmm. are great. Stephen King's on writing has some amazing stuff in it. That was, yeah. I mean, I I have read other King. I read The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon. I love that book. It's underrated for sure. Yeah, it was very fun. I still had trouble believing that, what, was she supposed to be 10 years old? That she could survive in the woods like that? Yes. Yeah, he he wow. does. He plays that game with with children, where you're like, yeah, they are way right. more savvy yeah. than they should be. I have exactly. a ten year old. <laughs> he can't survive exactly. out in the front yard. <laughs> exactly, but his on writing was unbelievable. And actually, reading your book and listening to you frequently, because I know you're a huge Stephen King I fan, am, I was yes. like, I got to read that again because it was so good. Well, yeah. the the book that I had come across recently, I will show you. I Ew. don't know if we're going to be on Genres. YouTube or not, I am but it's called one. Yeah. yeah. Anatomy it is genres. so good. So I've barely cracked it, but I saw a webinar with this guy, John Kruby, okay. and it was eye-opening, especially for someone who has not gone to, um, you know, writing school, yeah. who has not done an MFA. But he talks about genre, how the story form explains the way the world works. And he goes hmm. through every genre and he ranks them um. For what they, not in terms of, you know, how good they are, but like in what they address and what the sort of life accomplishment challenge is. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think horror is 
the lowest one because it's about survival. It's just mm-hmm. about trying to survive. And love is at the top because it's about mm-hmm. extension of self beyond self. But detective is the second to last. Like detective oh, is wow. about knowing how the world works. So I was mm-hmm. kind of thinking of that as I was reading yours. And he was also talking about how some of the more successful works of literature and or genre Mm -hmm. combine elements of genre. So that was why I was thinking, and you're right about speculative. I've heard these terms, but again, this is where I kind of go. I didn't go to school for this, but I I get it. So the speculative fiction, these lives repeat, Mm -hmm. um, and it's a overlap of a different, a few different types of genres. And beats is another thing. Do you count your beats and your... So that this was is one I learned from a recent writing class I took too. Yeah, it's it's evolving a little bit. Um, I didn't even think about things like uh, a three act structure or how many acts I wanted to have mm-hmm. originally. So I will say that the Nine Lives of Marva DeLonghi specifically worked. I don't I don't know what the fate of this book is yet. It's got a long, long road. It's a brand new book still in in, mm-hmm. in reality. Uh, I couldn't write anything plotty that worked and that people would be uh, interested in 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 the way that I wanted them to because I didn't mm-hmm. understand how to make it happen and so I had a one of my professors in grad school was mentioning have a structure like a week and you know that you're going to tell the novel in a week and have mm. every day or every chapter be a day and then that that very structure that sense of having seven beats along the way helps you to understand where to place things like your climax uh where to have the the rising action start to really ratchet up it helps so much with pacing and so mm-hmm. that was actually as much as anything I implemented the nine lives on myself to say, now I know what has to be accomplished by when. And it was tremendously helpful. I, I've mm. changed so much in the way that I write story now, but for the nine lives of Marvin Longhai, that may have been the biggest reason why I settled on that form. That's very interesting because I can see how that sort of an overlay would help propel yeah. the story forward. And again, I don't think this is, a spoiler, but one thing I found very compelling and uh, uh, intriguing about it was how as she goes through these lives, some are very long and some yes. are not. I mean, yeah. that was pretty cool. I was like, wait, where are we now? What's yeah. going on? What, how is it? Was sort of, it was a little um, vertigo inducing yeah. almost, um, which was really interesting i I don't know maybe i'll give a little some of the other things that i found most compelling about it were the big life questions that i think that it can um become an analogy for of um how to the the chance to do something over and over until we can get it right yeah and so that was a really is a really compelling because I'm still wondering what's going to happen. And the fact that I heard you read a chapter from your uh, new book yeah. already, I'm like, okay, yep. well, she's still around, you know, <laughs> Yeah, that made me feel a little, okay, we know that much. Um, mm-hmm. It made me also think, and maybe I'm reaching here, but I don't know, <clears throat> 
how many times did you write this book? Because I've heard you say it. Like, I I like the idea of, you know what? I had to write through Mm -hmm. it again and again. And this term pantser, which I had (laughs) to look up because I'm like, what is this? (laughs) It's basically writing through it until you figure out what your story is. So it wasn't like you went into this knowing this is how it's all going to get mapped out. You didn't have that sense. No. Not at all. Yeah. Like I said, the nine lives helped me to have some sense of, of how it was going to go. I had the title before I had uh, that particular draft, but yeah, mm-hmm. you're, you're right. And I, I don't want to rehash too much of anything that's already out there, but uh, I was formerly a pantser and um, I thought that there would be nothing interesting if I knew how the story was going to end. Um, and so oh. I wrote, I wrote a draft of the book that Lyle was the main character. Um, and he was much more of a, a womanizer. He was, I think I had like accentuated his worst qualities to try to play with having like the ultimate feminist and the ultimate chauvinist pig. And I mm. wanted to like them to crash into each other because there is actually still something really fascinating to me about how, if we know somebody well, we forgive a lot. We forgive a lot of their yes. their their worst parts because we yes. know their heart. And I thought, how amazing mm-hmm. would it be to have a story where you had two people that shouldn't get along so well, but actually really work really well together? And I think I still have that in this format, but I wrote that whole draft out and it was nothing like the final book was. And I knew that it was ultimately a bit heartless. And um, so then when I did finally come upon the draft where I knew the nine life structure, uh, it still took me a couple of tries to really get the the feel for who the characters were in a way that I, I wrote what I think is a, is a good book. Um, I'm really, really proud of it. I am for sure proud of it. It took a long time to figure it out. And at the pace that I wrote it, I could never um, make a living as an author. It took me five <laughs> years. So, <laughs> Well, and that's, uh, that's another whole thing about a pace of writing, which yeah. Brad Listy and I touched on a mm-hmm. little bit honestly the very He's end the, of our the conversation long writer <laughs> oh god i'll 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 go into a slow contest with him i feel like but we'll yeah. see but um but it is funny because you're picking a genre where people kind of crank them out yes and yep. but you have a big picture plan for it so mm-hmm. but i think that also knowing that you wrote through it a few times to get to it um your learning curve might have been on on the nine lives because yeah. it seems like now you know them better and they're going to have their adventures that they'll continue to have. Yeah. Um, and I think that it's funny when you describe people who are different and can love and depend on each other because mm-hmm. of who they are in spite of their differences. Yeah. Wow. Well, that is a brand right there. I mean, mm. isn't it? It it kind yeah. of is. I mean, that's how I feel. It, that definitely is in the <laughs> There it is. My copy. <laughs> yeah. Um see, I was like, "Wait, where are each <laughs> I love where it. Where are all the lives?" Uh. Um so what was I saying about that? Yeah, like they they come together they listen yeah they listen to each other they have um they forgive each other's faults um and and that was the thing 
can I, I'll maybe go into my own. Yeah, I would love I, that. I started this book, Jody, and I was like, oh boy. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's not, this is not the kind of book I would typically pick up. Yeah. Um, but I kept going because <laughs> I wanted to know what was yeah. going to happen. Um, and I see that. And, and so I told myself, Michelle, you're not typically a detective story person. Yeah. Um, you're not typically like in the thriller, like mm -hmm. violence realm. Yeah, I was going to say it's, it's graphically violent. The language yeah. is graphic. It's uh, it's all extremely graphic. It's intense. It's pretty yeah. intense. But I thought this is this is a fun read. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. <laughs> ha, ha, ha. So, but I, I, like I say, I went with it. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think again, I'll refer back to your conversation with Christopher Talon. The first hill is the biggest one. Yeah. And I was like, Ugh, oh my God. Yeah. And, and so yeah. luckily I, I put it down. Honestly, I put it down for a little bit, sure. but I came back. Yeah, I came back just like Mia. <laughs> I reappeared, <laughs> and yeah. um, and they 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 definitely grew on me. Lyle and all his food, and Mia yeah. and all her bourbon, and you yeah. know, it's it felt at that point it it had a very fun noir ish character mm -hmm. to it. The characters were people who did grow on me, and I'm. I'm really curious to see yeah. what happens. So now I really, I'm hooked. I can't yeah. wait to see the ending. So I, I'm glad we're talking because now I can go read it. At the end. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I wanna, one thing I really want to say, because I think that this will impact the way, and I, you probably know this anyways, but this will impact the way that a lot of people meet the book. If they listen to this episode before they read the book is I wrote this book truly believing that this was a one-off. I was not going to write these characters again. If they mm. ever showed up again, it would be kind of like Carl Hyacin, where they're a side character in someone else's story for just a moment. Um, oh, in fact, okay. I even tried that. However, when I had my kind of epiphany moment at the end of year one of the podcast and, you know, having quit my job and all those things, it really did come down to utility. That's the word I was looking for before, mm. is that I needed a way to make a living. And in order to do that, the the just dollars and cents was have a series of books. So if people meet Luke and Lyle, they like them, they pick up book two, they pick up book three, and then you create a sense of propulsion where you have something mm -hmm. to sell people. Um, right. So I love the book. If I'm going to be 100% honest, I will always love the book as a standalone because it does not end on a cliffhanger, but it ends with a question. And I don't mm. think that that's spoiling anything. There's just, there's yeah. going to be a question that you're going to be confronted with, uh, something to think about. And for me, that was what made the novel great. Um, I think it's a good fun read. I don't think it's for everybody. Like you said, uh, my grandma, I think says she started to read it and she's, she'll love me no matter what. But <laughs> I was just like, please don't read this. I mean, in, uh... in the most honest sense, it's not going to be your thing. And I know that. Um, you told but... her that. I, I did. I said, I yeah. don't need you to read this. I'm I'm happy Aww. that you want a copy. I gave her a copy. And um, and then the last thing that I will say on that note is that in returning to Luke and Lyle uh, and Mike Schatz and some of the other characters that you have met mm -hmm. along the way, I discovered that uh, it was bliss and having new tools in my tool belt to tell the stories and yeah. outlining a big nine book arc 
Yeah. Wow. What what uh, unbelievable fun. Yeah, it's been rewarding. I was going to say I can definitely see the the joy and enthusiasm in getting into like breaking yeah. into who they are, what's going to happen. I mean, it's like any good series like thinking about Seinfeld, which I know like the back of my hand, yes. <laughs> you know, yes. those characters, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it took a while for them to find their mm-hmm. voices and their rapport yeah. and all that. So I think with any story, it's like once you have the groove of it, mm-hmm. yeah, run with it once you do, because you've really put in a lot of work. And yeah. the craft, also speaking of craft, I was, um, my husband and I often uh, at dinner, we sometimes listen to different like, you know, webinars mm-hmm. or lectures of people. He's a musician. Yeah. And so yes. we listen to musicians and sometimes we listen to writers. So recently we were listening to Claire Keegan. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've read her. Um, she has a recent, I think the most recent book is called... Oh, God, I should have been ready for this. It's like the small things, something about the small things. It's very short. And um, and so I thought it it was we were um, we're visiting someone and she Mm -hmm. was reading the um, book for a book club. Mm -hmm. And so I thought. Oh, it's fiction. I'll try this thing (laughs) because I can be so I call myself binary. I I don't try to be mm-hmm. close-minded. I just feel like I want to know it's real. And yeah. and of course, like reading Nine Lives of Marva Delonghi, I mean there's so much that is ri- like it tells a truth about humanity, about life. So. And that's obviously like what great fiction does. So yeah. anyways, all of this to say I decide to read this little wisp of a thing from um, Mm -hmm. Claire Keegan. And she, in talking about her characters that she had created, she was being interviewed by someone else who was like going on and on and on and on. (laughs) And he was saying something about, um, ugh, I'm I'm not going to get this right now. Sorry. Let me gather myself together. Um, Where did, it was about the characters and who they were and the motivation that they were going to have or what, what was the plan for them or something about the hideousness of it, I will say. And she said, I learned about the characters from their gestures, essentially. Yeah. Like the physicality of who Mm. they are and what they do. Mm -hmm. Now I heard that partway into reading your book and all of a sudden, like, Bing, 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 bing. I'm like, yeah. oh my God. Like, yeah. and even before that point, by the way, I was like, I don't think I've read this many verbs in my whole entire life. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is rich with action and visceral stuff. I mean, sometimes scary, but just alive, mm. alive. Um, and and who they are and where they are and what they're doing and the and who they are comes does create their character. So, like, was that, mm, I don't, innate for you to do? You already knew this or, you know. 
there's there's I think two two pieces to the question and it's strangely insightful it almost so if I were going to be honest it almost feels like my craft uh is not fully developed by the time the nine lives of Marvin along high comes along because you saw what I was doing you really clearly picked up on it uh using verbs instead of uh Luke said blah 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 or Lyle said blah 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 oh, yeah uh, you know Luke smoked a cigarette and then boom boom so I'll anchor you in the speaker by giving them a verb or an action and that was my way of replacing dialogue tags I didn't want to have yeah. any dialogue tags so far as I could help it right um, yeah so th- that was intentional but it was because I didn't necessarily have multiple answers to a question I think I do more so now uh than I did when I wrote that book it's fun to evolve as a writer. There's something interesting about looking back at your old work and feeling there's something great there. And also I so much wish I could do it a little bit differently. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So I know I'm, I'm, yeah, it partly is intentional. I want it to feel active. I want it to feel verby. I want it to feel fast paced in the language. Um, people who have been somewhat critical of the book have said it feels detailed. I, mm. I would like to ask, those people a little bit about what they mean when they say that, because both of them were not necessarily reading in my genre, but I do think mm-hmm. that it's true that I'm packing sentences full of information. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah. Well, that's interesting because that would, oops, excuse me. That would lead to the other craft book that has come into my attention recently that I don't know if you know of. It is called Several Short Sentences no. About Writing. Awesome. This book is amazing. <laughs> I, I, And if you're talking about sentences, mm-hmm. that's his whole, um, that's the whole shtick. I'm, I, again, all these books, I'm, ti- I'm a little bit in. I am yeah. like tiny bit into way too many books um but his like if you even look at his prose on the page and this is one thing we can talk about audiobooks too like for example like the it looks like a poem almost yeah the way he writes each phrase or sentence Mm -hmm. or phrase even is its own line and it's remarkable to hear him talk in that way and he reads his own audiobook. Uh, um yes. and so I was very much enjoying listening to him and also reading it. And sometimes I'll like listen to a book and then read it. Yep. I almost never will read a book and then listen to it. Okay. But this is the first book that I am reading and listening simultaneously Mm -hmm. i'll be like oh i've caught up to where i was listening or then i've passed where i read up to Mm -hmm. it's kind of funny but the anyways all that to say um (laughs) sentences are also very interesting and i wouldn't have said that you packed too much detail into i mean it it's just very sensory rich which yeah i don't know i can complain about that (laughs) yeah yeah um, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I do know that I'm coming from a literary uh, fiction background and literary fiction is really just slice of life. It's going to feel almost like a memoir with a little bit of a story in it. So um, if it won a Pulitzer Prize, it's probably considered literary fiction. That's sort of the, the yeah way to describe the kind of books that it is. Right, right. So, and there are more details in literary fiction. So I think that I, I do bring that into whatever I'm writing. I have to think about pacing and going really fast. 
Uh, you mentioned John Grisham earlier. Uh, yeah. He is very capable of moving action with short, punchy sentences and just getting to the heart of things. And mm -hmm. I still certainly don't know how to do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I bet you, you will get there. I mean, yeah. you're, you're at the beginning of something yeah. and, um, I will say the more you bring yourself to it and the passion, you know, you're following your passion. And that yeah. is, I think, the the best and only thing that we can do when we're trying to um, make our way in the world. And I think the pace mm -hmm. of it, to me, that's the big question. Are you a fast writer or are you a slow yeah. writer or how a fast learner even? You know, maybe yeah. you're a fast, it seems like you're a fast writer and you adjust, but took you a while to get there and mm -hmm. almost to go back to the very first thing that we were talking about about brand and who we are and what we're trying to do i think that it's there's so much advice out there for people who want to write who want to make a mm -hmm. living from writing who want to i don't know do all these things you know like have a podcast yeah. i had a podcast because i had worked in radio for 30 years and it was the most obvious thing for me mm -hmm. to do um so that felt like just the most natural thing to do i mm -hmm. think that you are a wonderful wonderful host talker listener you're curious you listen you want to debate things with people in a respectful way i mean it doesn't get better than that, really. And bringing that into what you write is is the same thing. So all of that to say, you start and you try and get X number of followers on X type of platform, and then yeah. you do this, and then you, you, you say, I have to start somewhere, so I'm then going to declare that this is my brand. And then you realize, yeah. oh, I guess it wasn't exactly that. And so I yeah. switch and you go, you're not supposed to switch. And then you go, well, yeah. and exactly. you start becoming so <laughs> self-aware of all the rules that you're breaking yeah. that you just got to go, meh, like mm -hmm. I'm figuring it out. And you know what? I'm doing it. And I yeah. think that the more you do it and you learn the things you're good at and you learn the things you're enjoying, I mean, I kind of am one of those believers that often those things match up. Sometimes they don't. I think it mm -hmm. was Verdi who was like, wrote operas that everybody loved and he didn't really like writing opera. Yeah. Poor guy. You know, yeah, no <laughs> I'm not really a big opera person per se, but I vaguely remember I could someone will tell me I got it wrong and it's somebody else. But anyways, yeah. somebody didn't. So um, ah, blah, blah, blah. I'm having a horrible brain fart right now because uh, the the guy who wrote uh, James Bond, I read all those oh. books. I don't know why I can't think of his name right now, but he said the oh, same thing. Yeah. He'd write one Bond book a year. He would go uh, during the off season to a nice place uh, for vacation and he would pump out a Bond novel. Um, and wow, those books are so great. Uh, they definitely show their time. Uh, if you go back and read them now, he, he had some worldviews that are probably not very flattering for him, but uh, Bond himself uh, is just a phenomenal character. I love it. Yeah, him. yeah. See, and there's another, it's like, I have so not gotten it. Yeah. James Bond, but that's, you know, we all like the things that we like. And yeah. uh, I've tried to watch those James Bond, James Bond movies. And yep. I don't know. The the books, I will say in terms of, of if you were going to attempt, and I'm not saying that you should or, yeah. or yeah. even no, take I a time, you. but the books far, 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 far better than the movies 
even I think probably the best bond so far is Dan, um, Daniel Craig, Craig Daniel, the most recent one. Um, but yeah, there's something about the books that mm-hmm. really get into it. There's one particular novel, I believe it might have been made into a movie um, and is considered by a lot to be better than the rest. But um, James Bond walks into another woman's story. She's a, a server at a diner, kind of in a small town you might find in Maine. Uh, and <laughs> um, there are some people who come in and uh, end up taking her hostage and causing problems. And there's there's all kinds of violence and Bond is there. And uh, it's not, there's no espionage. It's just, how do we survive this moment where I happen oh. to be in the wrong place at the wrong time? Right, and right, right. Uh, it's amazing. It's a really, really, really good book. Yeah, I mean those are those are great questions. And did did you have did you have a basic question that you were pursuing through this nine lines? Talking about Bond? No, unfortunately. <laughs> no, well, I don't know. I'm curious. No, I uh, so it, uh, do I have a, a basic question when I was writing the book or Yeah, like um, did you did you have an essence you were trying to get at through the story? Yeah, for the nine lives of Marva DeLonghi, I really wanted to know uh, how far you could love somebody. And I know that mm. that sounds trite, um, but it's also to this day the most important question in my life. And I think I'll keep asking it in different ways. Uh, Luke makes some really clear sacrifices for Lyle along the way. I think I think if I've done my job even halfway, I think people will see the kinds of sacrifices she makes for him. Um, he makes sacrifices for her as well. And there's mm. something, there's something about. So uh, my, my friend, she's been on the podcast uh, a couple of times, Heather O'Brien. Um, she's doing editing, beta reading for my current novel. Um, I've become fast friends with her, and uh, she needed some help getting her book formatted. And I just happened to have some some kind of I can I know my way around formatting and everything, and and getting what she needed. So I helped her get her most recent book so that they could upload it onto um, Amazon. And I wrote back and I said. You know, there's something really amazing about having the opportunity to reciprocate. Um, when somebody does something really yeah. nice for you, yeah. I don't, I, I'm not the kind of person who's like, Hey, I owe you one. And I would never feel like a, a friendship should be, uh, have any kind of ledger in mm-hmm. it. But also one of the truest expressions of friendship is the ability to give you something, um, and to reciprocate. I like the reciprocal. And so. Yeah. Yeah. If there's a question in these books, in in Luke and Lyle, um, I think it would probably be who, how much can you pay? I guess. Mm, yeah, yeah, that's that's a big one. That is a really big one. I mean, these are the big questions that we yeah. think about about life because some of the other ones, like I don't, maybe I, I feel like I might have said this a little bit at an earlier point in our conversation, but how can we, yeah, how can we get, um, I think many people can identify with feeling trapped in a situation that you don't know how to fix. Mm-hmm. And so the chance to start over and over and over and over yeah. um, and to try and figure it out. I I loved seeing that puzzle being worked out. Um and I think that it has everything to do with life and how we try to come back to to ourselves and those we love. Yeah. Oh, boy. 
<laughs> I can't wait to read the end. Yeah. Jody, I, I, I am like very it. proud of you. Thank you. It's the I mean, seriously, congratulations. Thank it you. is such a huge accomplishment to get to a phase of this. <laughs> it's a beautiful yeah. cover. It's I, I mean, were you just you. absolutely thrilled when you got the box in the mail and what was that like? Oh, I wish, you know, it's so funny. Um, there's some bittersweet to to this journey, even from the beginning. Uh, Annie Baumke, I'm so grateful to her. I look forward to, I've been kind of waiting to send her a copy of the book uh, mm-hmm. for, for a, a couple of reasons, but it wouldn't be what it is uh, if she hadn't taken me on to represent me and try to get the book published. Uh, I was going to say, she's your agent, right? She was my yeah. agent, yeah. And um I think by the time that I decided to go self-published, there was shame for me, like I'd failed uh, to 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 achieve what I thought I was going to achieve. Um, and so getting the box of books was exciting. And I was upset that it was a little bulkier than I expected. I thought that a six by nine would maybe be a little oh. more of a compact size. Isn't um, that funny? Yeah. Yeah. And so my wife is a, a graphic artist um, and has education there. And so I really trusted her and she made a beautiful cover, but we didn't realize that those blacks were not quite the same color. You can't see it in any digital representation, but if you look at his hat on the copy you have, oh uh, yeah, you know, there's that kind of, uh, you can tell it's digitized. Yeah. We were able to fix I guess. it. Um, but okay, you know, those were, those were issues I think in the beginning that just, they weighed on me and I think they still do to a degree mm-hmm. weigh on me because I don't have that badge of, uh, authenticity that I published traditionally. Um, so it's a, it's a loaded question, but what I yeah. will say is, like I said, I am tremendously proud of the book and, uh, I've loved sending it to, to readers like you. Um, I've loved hearing feedback. The, I would say the, the the defining moments for me have been when it sold to strangers. When I get an order from a stranger to buy the book, you're just like, wow, somebody I've yes. never met and may never meet and may never speak yeah. to is going to read this book. Um, yeah. And they might leave a one-star review, but they will <laughs> they will wade into it and give it a yeah. shot. <laughs> yeah, that's, I, I totally feel you on that one. Yeah. I, you know, I think I hear what you're saying about the, disappointment with like no. oh i had to self-publish or you didn't yeah. have to you wanted no, to true. you, yeah, you made to. the choice to do yeah. it so um and the thing is like the whole publishing world is so different now and it's mm-hmm. just yes. you're on the cutting edge man <laughs> you know i mean seriously that's i i am well aware of many people who um who make that choice for mm-hmm. you know similar reasons to you a million other reasons um i listened to another um like webinar recently with a editor type person and Mm -hmm. uh was saying the thing that we listen to and you know grimace about uh you know that um platform uh, this was regarding memoir specifically platform is more important than Mm -hmm. writing so there are many great writing you know books i can't talk (laughs) there's much great writing there's many there's people there's great writers out there with great books but they don't have a platform and so for that reason it has to do with sales and you are you know um 
you're you're doing it the uh, I'm taking it on myself and just think you love to learn everything think of everything that you're learning about yeah. independent publishing I, I don't mean to be you know a no, little Pollyannish about it that yeah, but right. you know it's it's a tough road people who decide that they want to write a book don't necessarily feel like they know how to uh, distribute and sell things and that's a whole uh, other camp but you came completely. from the sales world so you do yeah. have that's why i also found it a little funny that you call yourself the reluctant uh, yeah. uh book marketer because yeah. you know what you're doing when it comes to that kind of thing and you are selling the thing that you know and believe in most which is yeah. your story your you know yourself you're writing your books so yeah yeah i i, I do agree with you in so many ways the, the reluctant part uh, is, I think it is still true. And uh, I believe I talked a little bit about this, but I think I got as close to losing my soul as I ever have when I was trying to sell the seven-figure marketing mindset for novelists. Um, <laughs> still some great stuff in there. I will do a revamp of the book one day when I actually know what I'm talking about fully. But mm. I would go I would go door-to-door in Omaha to businesses to ask them to sponsor it into college classrooms. And I thought that that was a great idea. And uh Mike Tyson is widely quoted at this point with this particular quote, but he says, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. Yeah. And <laughs> I've heard that one many times. Exactly. exactly. I know, yeah, but it yeah. is, it is so true. You walk yeah. into the first place where somebody kind of laughs you off and says, no way. Um, and it's okay. And I've been told no so many times throughout mm. my career in sales. But uh, what I didn't count on is that when it's your book, they're saying no to the, the depth of no is so much worse right. than I was prepared for. And it really did uh, crush me. So, oh, um, but it was a great, yeah. a, a great lesson. I'm over it now, or I have learned from it now. So, yeah. I mean, you know. it's, again, it's just another thing under the bridge that you're like, okay, it's another lesson learned. Um, I used to take a yoga class that, that she was like, you know what you try, you know, mm-hmm. you get in this pose and the person next to you is like all flopped over and you're like, I'm not <laughs> even here. And she's like, it's all just information. Yeah. Yes. And so I always go back. I didn't know that quote has stuck with me so much. It's like, it's all just information. And yeah. that's what we can do to, you know, sort of be where we are with the moment of what we have. And, um, so yeah, I I hope lots of people buy the book because they shouldn't. It'll be a wonderful uh, a wonderful continuing series, which yeah. is very fun. I love the um I love the the um mystery section because <laughs> like I get to I I feel like I've learned so much because you get to see all mm-hmm. the lineup of all the series from all these mystery writers. So yeah, there's yeah. a lot ahead of you. Yes. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for stepping into the interviewer chair uh, to talk to me a little bit about my book. I really appreciate it. I've enjoyed uh, just experiencing Daring to Tell and everything that you're doing. I cannot wait to hear your interview with Brad Listy. Uh, um, that's going to be oh so much gosh. fun. I have one question for you in closing yeah. here is, were you at all surprised by the length of Brad's pauses in conversation. If not, that's totally fine. That's funny. I don't think it occurred okay. to me when when we were talking. She mm-hmm. says after a long pause. Um, <laughs> um, it's funny because I feel like I felt the more as I've gone back and edited. Yeah. Not just uh, less so in his 
responses in the conversation, Mm -hmm. slightly more so when he read a section from his Mm -hmm. book. So I did, you know, play with the pacing a tiny bit there. And sometimes I do play with the pacing with the conversation as well. But that's an interesting question. You know, um, that harkens back to yet another public radio story. So when I first worked at um, the station I was at, there was a renowned classical host, mm-hmm. uh, very renowned for the pauses that he had in his delivery. Yeah. And so I guess it's in my it's in my mm. public radio, you know, air yeah. that I have breathed, the, the the public radio dead air that I have breathed. Yeah. The the long, thoughtful pause and mm-hmm. uh and actually coming from like the Ira Glass school of mm-hmm. editing and and you know and interviewing and storytelling that there's sometimes people don't answer for a long time because you want to hear them thinking for that long so sometimes you just let it let it breathe because that's what's happening so yeah that's uh, that's yeah. an area where i want to get a lot better as a podcaster i was so new when i interviewed him that uh, I'd never spoken to somebody with his length of uh tenure and yeah. It was oh, notable. Yeah. It was notable the first time I started asking him questions. He would, every single time, he would think before he responded. And I was like, I need more of that in my life. I need more <laughs> reflection. He's very yeah. good at it. Yeah, so. he is. He is. It was, I I was so nervous before that conversation, <laughs> I have to tell yes. you. I'm sure you get that. I was just yeah. like, oh, my God. But, yeah, comes out. Well, I don't know when this will come out, but it may or may not be out by the time this one is. So awesome. I'm really looking forward to it. I will have uh, in my show notes how to listen to Daring to Tell. Um, and then you Thank won you. a prize for an essay. Is it how how do people find that if they want to find it? What's the easiest oh, way to find that? You know what? It's not anywhere. It's unfindable. That's it's unfindable. A, that's a it does not oh, exist. No. Well, actually, that's not entirely true. Here is where it exists. It only exists on daring to tell okay, it perfect. is the essay that i read so um yep. i i was one of the finalist prizes for um the writer's digest yeah and unfortunately for my n- number 19 that i came in they were only printing like oh. the top 10 in the so i was a little like yeah I was like, I'm, I am thrilled to be recognized, believe me. Um, but I thought, well, you know what? Then I'll read it on my own darn podcast. So I have yeah. read it, and it's the episode Perfect. called The Wonder. That's right. I'm going to link to that show specifically because I think it's really fantastic. Oh, In my mind, so I've got I've got that that essay, and then I've also got what you were putting out your newsletter about the chrysalis and the butterfly. Oh, my butterfly! Was, what a, what a rich moment for you. That was really really that was just peak performance. I loved that whole that whole period of time. So thank you. I yeah. that butterfly was like my life when it was happening, <laughs> and right now yeah. we only have buds out there at this moment. Uh, in Maine, but the mm-hmm. the milkweed is looking scary, and I'm like, oh, please let the milkweed come back. <laughs> I need that milkweed. <laughs> yeah, yes, absolutely. We've got a little bit by the Swedish Heritage Center here in town, um, so I've ah. got to start keeping an eye out for for keep an eye out. Oh, those caterpillars, they're amazing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, this has been good. I need to uh, I need to free you from the microphone and let you get back oh, to your day. I feel like so I need much. to free you, but this has been so much fun, Jody. I will talk with you any day. 
Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, It was very, very fun. Thanks for your work. Thank you for listening to TRBM. The theme music was provided by the ever-talented Christopher Talon. And hey, if you liked what you heard, share this show with other readers, because what is the point of telling stories if nobody's listening? Hey, Exy, I am super excited for you to be working on The Nine Lives of Marva DeLonghi. So thanks again. The following is the list of pronunciations you were requesting with just a small amount of commentary. Luke, Evelyn, Mia, mostly known as Luke E. Mia. It's a play on cancer, leukemia. Marva DeLonghi, not DeLonghi or anything like that. The correct pronunciation is Marva Long high. Kapuchnik, as in Lyle Kapuchnik. There are going to be dozens of alternate spellings of his last name throughout the book. It's one of the plays on foreignness where people never are comfortable pronouncing weird looking last names. So different people spell it differently, and I want you to just pronounce it phonetically like it looks on the page. But his true last name is Kapuchnik. Magdalene, as in Magdalene bourbon. Vivivica, that's the medication that they sleep with. Nellie Free Titties, that's her stripper name, Free Titties. Borsheims is the jewelry store, Borsheims. Felipe Reskov, his name is Felipe Reskov. And there's the familiar names that Reskov calls Luke, like Lukovanovich. Lukala, Lukachik. There may be some others you run into in the book, but it'll always be Luke something, and it's not 100% important to me that those are done perfectly. But it is Luke Ivanovich, Lukala, and Lukachik. Millard is a town in Nebraska. Kramer is the name of the crematorium. Kramer. Caniglia's is the name of a restaurant. That's Caniglia's. Mrs. Stefavader. Mrs. Stefavader. Melina. That is Melina. Rinse shower off. Just kind of like you're taking a rinse and showering off. Rinse shower off. Petros. My grandpa says they had the best liver and onions in the world. And Papillion Creek. Petros and then Papillion Creek. Thanks again for taking this project. I can't tell you how excited I am to hear your reading of the book.